So Sharon, um, you've led me in a meditation just now because uh, mm-hmm. you're supporting me and we're on the topic of, of support. And so we, you know, are transitioning from our personal conversation. I want to thank you for that. You're welcome. Um, I don't think we'll need to do a meditation today. If that's okay right. with you. Um, sure. You were, um, we were talking a lot about, um, well, the theme of trust and, and I think my experience of uh, receiving that supportive energy from you is it brought up my own uh, challenges at times with trust of, uh, you know, am I taking up too much space? You know, is this okay? And it, it brings me back to my own family of origin issues, which have to do with connection and support. And, and then you were sharing a little bit about your own experiences with, we all have these legacies these legacies of things of how we things that may be a barrier to connection a barrier to connection to feelings on the inside or our inner experience um there's a there's a couple of of themes including this 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 idea of legacy perhaps we could build on um i i just want to review from the last time that we spoke something that stood out to me is we transitioned from talking about support generally to the the theme of forgiveness mm-hmm. and One of the questions that came up for me, I think is connected to this issue of family legacy is oftentimes where we're hurting the most is uh, in relationship to our closest connections, which is our family. And uh, so the question is, how how do we provide support in one instance when we when maybe we are the ones that are maybe the cause of the pain? Right. So how do we yeah. provide support? So between, let's say, partners, a husband and a wife, uh, you know, the husband's really hurt by something mm-hmm. and then, it, you know, could easily go into a survival stance of the husband is now blaming the wife and they get defensive in this way. Mm-hmm. But what would be more healthy and maybe more constructive is if the wife could support the husband through that to get to some kind of resolution. Um, so I thought maybe looking at that as a theme for today. Yeah. Uh, we could explore um, because it's it's often embedded in the intensity of a, of a particular relationship mm-hmm. uh, where we need to offer that support. Not always, you know, in the context of we're both therapists right. and we're objective, we're outside, we're not invested mm-hmm. personally in that relationship. So we can provide support with with our energy in a in a in a very full way. But right. uh, could you speak to that? Does that make sense? It's the, the toughest the toughest place of all really I think because you have such an investment in the relationship and in the other person's reactions Mm -hmm. Um, did we talk about hula hoops last week no I don't think so well one of my friends uh, shared this piece of information that she got in therapy recently that I really love Um, her son is struggling with uh, an addiction and so she said in the therapy process uh, that the therapist had said, you know about hula hoops, you know that you can only hold up your own hula hoop and that it takes a lot of work to keep your own hula hoop going. <laughs> I'm, I'm terrible at it, so <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that's how it goes. <laughs> and the truth is you cannot make somebody else's hula hoop work. Right. They've got yeah. to do their own hula hoop. Right. And so uh, somehow that has freed mm. me up 
you know, sometimes. <laughs> it depends on how mm -hmm. much I get triggered by whose pain it is. Right. If it's my partner, you know, my husband's pain, um, that can be hard to be there for him because there's just so much invested between us. Right. Uh, and I think, by the way, that there's been mistakes made by couples therapists who have so much wanted each person to be empathic for the other that they've pushed it and it hasn't worked. And having worked with couples for years, <clears throat> I would listen to a couple or to one person and would really hear their pain and we would do some healing. And I would think, okay, now we've got this. And the other person has been watching. I would always, you know, say, I'll get to you, but be can you be here just be here while i work with this person mm -hmm. thinking that now we're going to have this marvelous compassion that's going to be emitted right. by the other person right and they go right back in to wherever they were invested in the blame mm -hmm. and i was in like oh i thought i had done such good work over here uh-uh this person is stuck in their blame and and they, there's no way they can be empathic. You really, really now have to, you know, have this person listen and process by themselves. And they're usually in their own process so much and then work over here. So um, this is a, the support for a long time, I think, has to come through you as the third party. Who it, and the challenge is to stay grounded, you know. Mm. So you really understand that each of them is in so much pain that even when there is possibility right. that I can feel compassion, the partner can't, you know. So right. getting that support has to come through the third party and also the support of really what I would call like translating the message in a different way. So maybe they can begin to hear it in a different way because usually there is a script going on that they can tell you the script and they've been trying to undo the script by themselves for a long time, way, usually way longer than, you know, is helpful, but they can't get out of the script. So it's your job to try to help mm -hmm, mm -hmm, do that. Mm -hmm. So as the, the therapist, the third person in the room, you're, you're acting as a model of support. You're maybe creating more space yes. uh, to be able to explore and to look, but also being mindful that, you know, while you may be supporting one, the other partner who's observing that may not be tuned into that kind mm -hmm. of energy. They, mm -hmm. they could still be stuck in their survival defensive kind of energy. Exactly. Um, but I think it's, it's the process of hopefully unfolding that, yes. that they, they could facilitate a similar kind of supportive energy. Yes. Um, and, and I think it, it goes back to a topic we've, we've talked a lot about already, which is congruence, mm -hmm. um, I, to offer support. In, I think in the context of a personal relationship is to be able to say, um, I'm limited by how much support I can give you right now, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Like I'm, I'm just come home from work, I'm mm -hmm. tired, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I want to, I want to listen to the thing that you want to talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, but I need to let you know where, I, where I'm at and, mm -hmm. uh, maybe I need to eat first or maybe I just want to connect more personally mm -hmm. before talking about problems. Mm -hmm. And that, I think that congruence, it, it's the, the self, because it's a, a, a relationship you're personally invested in that self mm -hmm. can come through. And then, and then the, the task for both 
partners is to hold some space for the other while holding space for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it's a, it's a more sophisticated kind of connection. Uh, whereas when in individual therapy, the therapist is, is, is really there holding the space primarily for the client. Yes. If there's any kind of disclosure, it's for the purpose of helping that process for the client, yes. not, not for the therapist themselves. So it's a very different kind of relationship. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, yeah. I have an example I want to share with you about self-support. Okay. okay. You know, the wisdom, ultimate wisdom, I think, always comes from our children. <laughs> mm-hmm. And over the weekend, I uh, was babysitting my five-and-a-half-year-old grandson and um, two girls that are like our granddaughters, and one is nine. And the five-year-old and the nine-year-old have been playing pretty well together, and then they got into it, okay? Mm-hmm. And then the, the five-year-old grandson says to the nine-year-old, I need time by myself. This is what the five-year-old says this to the nine-year-old? This is what the five-year-old said to the nine-year-old. And, and okay. so I'm listening to this, and you know they've been fussing with each other, and I'm thinking the win-win approach. So I say, well, each of you has a need. You have a need for some private time, Essie, is what I'm hearing, and you have some need, Ani, for playing with Essien. Uh, Essien, how much time do you need? Uh, 19 minutes, he says. He has no concept of time, just 19 minutes. I don't know where they came from. <laughs> and uh, the, I say to the nine-year-old, well, how much time do you need? Zero. I want to play. <laughs> yeah. I go, okay, well... Um, I'm going to say SEM gets 10 minutes and uh, so you need to figure out some other way to deal, you know, with for, for a little while, but you don't have to wait 19 minutes. And, and so SEM went into this fantasy world of play and then he says, can I have a popsicle? And I said, yeah. And he said, can I, and I said, but you need to get one for Ani too. And for your other cousin, okay. He takes the popsicles, he offers them, and they start playing. Sure. Wow. And I, I was so touched by this. So then I tell my husband about this, and he says, "Oh, I know where he got that idea about supporting himself with private time. It's a program called Daniel Tiger. Mm. Do you know about Daniel Tiger?" No. It's the modern evolution of Mr. Rogers. Oh, yes, yes. I've heard of that. Yes. And they have a lesson they're teaching about relationships every time. I mean, it's amazing. Mm, And he said, we just watched that together. And he applied it. He said, I need private time. You know, and we're talking about therapists. We're probably the worst at saying. Sure. (laughs) Yes, yes. We, I need some self-care time. You know? Yeah, who says you never you can't learn anything from TV? That's that's great. Yeah. Or from oh. children, I love it. You know? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they, I'm telling you, Tim, from that moment on, I think for two and a half hours, they played fantasy pretend nonstop. Yeah. It was unbelievable the energy that each of them had once they had like gone through this process. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that reminds me of a time when I was traveling with my best friend out west and, you know, we were starting to get on each other's nerves and um, eventually I, you know, I, I decided, well, we need to talk about this. And 
I wasn't a therapist at the time, but I just I knew open communication was probably a good idea. We were stuck <laughs> with each other for a few weeks on this trip. And and it just kind of opened things up and I shared my perception of how things were going and where maybe I was bothered by things and, and hurt by things. And he had no idea. And mm-hmm. um, I think that that idea of like entering into that space of first like maybe with the with the kid with the children of play of of curiosity of uh, some some containing space for yourself and then being able to put that out into the world and to say this is what i need you know mm-hmm. i i would like some time to myself and mm-hmm. and then i think also i mean you're 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 a part of that interaction to say what i need is is a popsicle and for you mm-hmm. to respond uh, affirmatively to that to to be supportive of that mm-hmm. i think it's it you're 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 probably holding the space in so many different ways um mm-hmm. that that it allowed yes, that true. moment to happen yeah. and i think to to be able to and i think that's why the, a supportive kind of context what we're talking about is so important because if that's the environment then things will will come up yes when that when the environment is not free to comment or free to feel or or all the different types of freedoms that have to do with the the inner and the outer mm-hmm. then that's when so many things go missing and yes. we get stuck into patterns of being stoic which we've talked about and right. um and then we lose the humanness mm-hmm. and, and then it's very difficult then to have a real connection with people um do you have uh, any advice? Would you be able to give any advice um, to couples that uh, struggle in those moments when maybe they're sensing a defensiveness or blame from their partner and um, they want to be supportive in, in something like that? I think that initial question, I, I still have curiosities about that. Mm-hmm. Um, what, how do you, how do you hand, how have you handled situations like that in your own marriage and in your own work Mm -hmm. is there something you could share about that um again it's a lifelong process because Mm -hmm. blaming energy pulls to blaming energy or fight or flight you know yeah right away but what i continue to work on is realizing that that's a reflection of pain of some kind you know and that if Mm -hmm. i can uh, translate it into you know what's the pain behind this and respond to that instead of like this has to do with me uh it may be that there may be a piece of it that i need to own but also the fact that it it came in a blaming form and my tendency would be to placate and flight you know and i yeah i don't know if this is true but my experience is that that's more common in a male female relationship is that um that women are more more prone to placate mm-hmm. uh, over the centuries, and you know, and therefore it's harder for us to like, you know. For example, my experience is that for men, the most common feeling that it's okay to have is anger, that mm-hmm. fight mode, which was a form of blaming. I mean, blaming is a form of that, right? For women, the most common reaction is some kind of fear and placating to make things okay so there's kind of a paradox that if you're helping people get to what's under both of those 
for men, it's helping them get to the, the, oftentimes the rules are it's not okay to be sad, scared, right. afraid of losing, whatever it is. And for women, it's not okay to be angry. So being able to voice without blaming where the anger is being held mm -hmm. so that it doesn't turn into resentment. And for men, it's being able to voice in safety where the sadness and the fear is. There's a lot of times, you know, where you're helping people, including myself, get out of that pattern. Right. Right. One thing is you were talking, Tim, that I was triggered by it. Uh, I had a friend who, uh, she and her husband went to the, um, it used to be called Marriage Encounter. I don't know if it still exists, but it was very popular for a while. Mm -hmm. And in Marriage Encounter, they had different, like, there was the Christian, there was the Catholic, there was the Jewish, and they were Jewish. And so they had gone to this weekend of Marriage Encounter. And when they came back, I said to her, what did, you know, what stood out to you? What? And she said, oh, my God, Sharon. She said, I learned that when I say I'm disappointed and hoping that I'm going to get some kind of support from my husband, what I'm saying to him is that I'm about ready to jump off the bridge. My husband has heard that as like, oh, I'm disappointed I didn't get Swiss cheese instead of cheddar. So we have been missing each other enormously in terms of the language and what we mean by the language. Right. You know, so the challenge is both being able, to, as a woman in this situation, being able to say for truth what the depths of what you're really feeling, mm -hmm. and for, in this case, the husband, to be able to check out what she's meaning when she says disappointment, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Or yeah. if you're the therapist, being able to facilitate that. What, what interpretation are you giving to the fact that she said she's disappointed and blah, blah, blah? Yeah, yeah, and he, you know that kind of thing. Yeah, and I think that's one of the most, uh, one of the biggest lessons that I've learned from Virginia's work, which is she's very specific about making this distinction between what we see and what we hear, the sensory input, and uh, the meaning and the interpretation we would make. Yes. And yes. people often enmesh and put those two together. So if I have a particular interpretation based on what you've said. Um, like if you've said, you know, can you put the, can you put your shoes away? It's like, you know, you're, you're really, my interpretation of that could be, you're really angry at me, you know? Um, and maybe you are, maybe you aren't, but my interpretation of that, um, I could check that out if I'm not sure. And, mm -hmm. uh, oftentimes people work with the assumption that they make initially without checking it out and yes um then it's it's with i think without the curiosity about that it's then really difficult to to Huge. offer any kind of support Huge. perception is everything interpretation yeah. of meaning is everything and the closer you are in a relationship the subtler it is right you know because yeah. there's, there's, there's the all that history and yeah. there's all that history right so put those two together and wow people can be really really missing each other mm. I had one, one of my couples, the man kept saying, we're ships passing in the night. I thought that was an amazing metaphor. Or that we, we are not hearing each other at all. We're yeah. not understanding each other. And it's so, there's so many protections when the, in an intimate relationship because you have so many expectations, hopes, fears, all, you know, in that relationship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
Yeah, and I think I think the active ingredient of that, I mean, in the context of what we're talking a lot about marriage is how do you actively put out an energy of trust and of goodwill mm-hmm. and of, uh, you know, the, I, I woke up this morning thinking like that, um, you know, wishing, wishing for the best in, in the other person, you know, and yes. in really encouraging that. Yes. That you know, of course, there's there's a dark side and a and a light side to each mm-hmm. person, and we have mm-hmm. we have uh, habits that lead us into healthy things or healthy interactions and unhealthy ones. Mm-hmm. But I think in in the opportunity in an intimate relationship is both people could really wish wish and to encourage and to challenge out that best self. Um, and I think if if they're stuck in the defense of blame and of fear and all of that, then it just it just makes it that much more difficult. So um, that self-support that you're talking about of being able to own, you know, these are my feelings, these are my perceptions. I'm aware that as I'm sharing this with you, this might not be helpful to, to you, but I've got to say it, right? So I acknowledge that. But at this time, you know, I've got to say that I'm really feeling distant from you or I'm feeling disconnected or I'm feeling like you weren't hearing me. And in that, and, and part of my reflection after our last conversation is how important it is to be clear about what role you're in, mm. you know, because in, in the context of, of an intimate re- relationship like a marriage, at one time you're in the role of an uh, of, uh, intimate partner. So that's mm-hmm. a more kind of mutual space. And in another, one person is the supporter and the mm. other one is the supported there. Mm. One person's giving the support, one person's receiving it. And then that can play back and forth at, at various times. And one moment, one can be teaching something, and the other one's, I guess, more of a student. So mm-hmm. that's the the plasticity of that kind of relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think being clear and saying, "Hey, this is this is the role I I would like you to to be in relation to me," mm-hmm. gives that person, I think, more clarity of what expectations to take on. And then um, it doesn't mean that it it always works out, but at least at least it can be clear. It can mm-hmm. be clear the what the need is so yes um and sometimes just just that it just changes all the energy when it's put out on the table yeah yeah to be clear okay well why don't we pause there um all right and i think there's always more we could say about support and um more to expand on but yeah um, we stop there for today and we'll continue on next time Beautiful. Well, thank you for joining us and listening to our conversation today. I just wanted to take a moment to go over a few of the show notes and uh, maybe add a few ideas and uh, a few correction to some of the things, at least, that I said. One of the first things that I talked about early on is uh, how do you support someone when uh, you're the cause of the pain? And in my work with people and and I think in the way that both Sharon and I think about this, uh, it's important that the individual is the owner of their uh, emotional and psychological experience. Now, this means may seem like a menu point, but I think it's very important because um, we can cause the events which lead to the pain. Um, and in this conversation, Sharon and I were talking about how important self-support is and this analogy this picture of a hula hoop and uh, 
there's a certain level of the things that are going on inside we create and uh, we we can't necessarily uh, take ownership for someone else's emotional experience we can take responsibility for our actions which led to the event uh, which may have caused pain for someone else and we can own that and change our behavior and demonstrate understanding and support to the feelings of the other person uh, but we can't take responsibility for creating emotions in someone else because I believe to do so would uh, be to disempower them and to overstep our own boundaries uh, we can own our reactions and our responses to things which includes our emotions uh, because well fear may be a very reasonable response to an abusive situation. I never want the person who's perpetrating that abuse to own my emotional response, especially now in the present. I want to take that back. Um, and even though I can't change my emotional response of the past, I can have empathy towards it now and understanding towards it. I can acknowledge even the wisdom of that kind of response, whether it's fight, flight, or freeze of the past. And now in the present, I can clarify and make decisions and choices about when I want that fear response or and what situations it's appropriate and to make conscious choices about how I behave and how those kinds of responses come out of me. And, and that's through experience and um, learning over time. The, the second thing I wanted to talk about is uh, Sharon describes how important it is to receive the support of a third party and in the context of what she was describing it's the context of couples therapy and and how important it, it can be to have that objective third person that's providing a, a different perspective and this makes me think about the importance of community the importance of family supportive friends siblings work colleagues our parents our grandparents all these various people in our social network help us to step outside of ourselves and to receive a supportive energy to be able to look at things from a, a more distant view I think we put so much emphasis on our partners within the context of marriage to be so much to be the be-all and end-all and and I think it's, it's it can be overwhelming these expectations um, and I think, um, myself included, that we need to enrich and expand our social connections so it's, a, it's an entire community of support and we can benefit from the wisdom of a larger group. In some of the experiences of training that I've had when I've seen live therapeutic demonstrations happen with a variety of models, I've seen it that it's so powerful to have outside witnesses, uh, maybe 10 to 15 people that are just there maybe as part of the training that are watching uh, this therapist do a demonstration and when a safe and supportive environment is created I see that the family or the individuals doing the work in the demonstrations can move so much because I think they're held up in that space they're seen by so many people they also receive supportive comments from the group which I think can be very validating and very supportive so this uh, this is kind of the image of community that that I'm was having as, as I was listening and re-listening to Sharon talk about what a therapist can do for a couple when Sharon was talking about her her grandson and describing the fact that the children played in fantasy for two hours after the incident it made me think and, and want to reflect on how powerful play is as an energy uh, for learning I think play is the optimal state for learning 
And it's not a state that you can just snap into at any time. It's a state that I think you need to transition into. And the themes and the themes and the uh, energies that relate to a supportive context that we've been talking about, uh, being grounded, listening, and being validating, uh, holding the space for someone, all of that allows for the play energy to occur. Um, the support which Sharon was facilitating seemed to be one of a respectful, accepting, and safe context. The, the next point I wanted to make was when I asked Sharon about her own advice for couples struggling and giving support when they're essentially mad at each other, I felt myself asking from the point of view of maybe a, you know, a, a grandson asking a grandmother for wisdom. And one of the things I really appreciate about the way that Sharon answers questions is she's so forthcoming and transparent with her own struggles and her own struggles with reactivity and defensiveness. And I feel quite fond of her humility. Um, it's, in this moment is just one example of that. In the face of how much experience and knowledge that she has, that she is so willing to share from the point of view of being uh, a constant learner herself. And, and I think that's something that has probably helped um, her grow in, in the ways and to become uh, such a wonderful person of what she is. It's something I really admire and I also aspire to. The last thing I uh, wanted to talk about is around the theme of support and the importance of clarifying roles and expectation. Uh, for example, in any situation of support, there's two roles essentially. There's the supporter and the one who is supported, the one that's giving support and the one that's receiving it. And I think a few things need to be clarified in terms of those various roles and the expectations uh, to make a supportive context uh, possible. Now, these things aren't often clarified explicitly, but some ideas that I had that, that may help in some of these interactions, whether the relationships at work or at home, is the supporter seems to benefit from being grounded and being able to focus on the skills of listening, of active listening and reflecting back what they're understanding from the person they're supporting with being really present, with letting go of anything that might be a distraction at that moment and to focus on that person that they are with solely. The final thing that the supporter uh, can focus on is holding the space which means that they are putting out certain energies of attention, of care, of non-judgment that create a containing space where the supportive person can really just be themselves and be honest with whatever they're experiencing. So when I was thinking about the person receiving support, the supported, um, I think there's two main things that come to mind. I think the supported has the responsibility for asking for support. It doesn't mean that this is always going to be the case, but if you're an individual that's experiencing a lot of overwhelm, then it, the the impetus can be on you to initiate that help by asking for it. And it is great risk and it's not easy to do, uh, but that's one thing that they that could be part of that role. The, the second thing is being responsible for giving feedback. As the supported person is receiving whatever kind of uh, feedback or um, validation, the, the person receiving that energy 
really ought to give some kind of feedback to say, yes, you're on the right track, or I agree with that, but I don't agree with this. And so it, it sort of helps navigate the conversation. And so they're both participating in a, in a mutual way, even though the supporter is essentially holding the space. I wanted to clarify these ideas about the various roles between supporter and supported, because I didn't want to leave the conversation at just the idea that the supported person is the passive recipient of support and that the, the one offering support is doing all the work. I think that may be one of the reasons why people may be resistant to receiving support because it seems to put them in a one down position. Uh, but I think if both the supporter and the supported can approach the interaction with the, their sense of dignity and worth intact and know that they each have a role and responsibilities, they can really bring their best self to the interaction. Well, that's all I wanted to say about um, this particular podcast. It was uh, a pleasure to, as always, to speak with Sharon, and uh, we hope that these conversations have been enriching and, and helpful to you too. So until next time, take care. Thank you.